0: You can turn over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. I was going over, as usual, I go over my head after uh, Sunday or Wednesday and just kind of mull over, and as I was doing that, kind of got hit upside the head, I did not accomplish something that I was supposed to have done. I'm not sure why I didn't accomplish it, but I did not, so... um, I was asking the Lord, all right, well, we, we can go back and redo that. So I said, where can we go on this area? And so, uh, if many did not see the Facebook post I put up there yesterday? Okay. Yeah, you were one of the first ones who chimed in on that, too. Yeah, we had a, a few more people chime in on it than usual, and that was always nice to see. But I put up some things there for you as we were looking into this. If you remember, there was a case where Jesus told some people, do not tell what's going on. And then other times, he tells them, go and tell. So what is it? Is Jesus just uh, unsure what he wants to do? Why does he tell some people don't tell and other people to tell? And I don't think that if I had not approached this, this question, how to pray for people that are not able to pray for themselves, if I had not approached it with that question, I don't know that I would have seen this answer. So sometimes you just have to have the right question in mind when you go to the Word and you get to see some things that you probably would not or would not have seen anyway. But we're going to take a look at two particular, very similar issues or very similar uh, miracles in which both had an inability to speak in facing their problem. So we're going to see why Jesus tells one this and one the other. A byproduct of this, and we're going to put this here at the end. If you'll notice, I, I think I put that question in there for your, your outline there at the end. I want you to be kind of mulling on this and think about this. Can you think of someone in the Word of God who went home early and did not accomplish all that God had for them? Why did they go home early? And what can we learn from that? Once you begin to have the wheels start turning inside? You can begin to think of of somebody that you can think of along these lines. But last week we were looking at the lame man at the pool. We looked at how a long-time condition can affect you and your faith. We looked at why these situations even come into the life of a believer. And at how people tend to look at what they don't have, can't control, or is the fault of other people as the reasons for their struggles. This is one thing I didn't cover in the last one, kind of kicked myself for it, one of the things, but there are two things that will lead you to pray for other people. I didn't put this in your outline, you can write it down if you want to, but there are two things that will lead you to pray for other people. Proximity and spirituality. You will either pray for other people because you are close to them, or you will pray for other people because God led you to If you pray for other people because God led you to, the connection between you and the Holy Spirit is easier to make. If you pray for someone because of their proximity, because they're close to you, you may not make the connection between you and the Holy Spirit because it's not something you were led into pray. It's something because of your love for them, because of your affection for them, because of something about them has drawn you into it. So you do need to recognize whenever you're praying for other people, is it the Spirit of God who led me into this prayer, or is it proximity? Now, I'm not telling you that you're of the flesh if you're just praying for somebody because you're close to them. It's not it at all. You just have to understand that the Holy Spirit didn't instigate that. Your closeness to them did. Now you need to make the connection on the Holy Spirit that way. But if the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance brings to your mind, supernaturally shows you things. We gave you some of the stories. I may listen to Brother Hagen's teaching, video teaching we had out there. He gave you some of those stories where this was going on. If God leads you in that way, the connection between you and the Holy Spirit is a lot easier to make. Because he's already shown you, I, I need somebody to pray on this. He's already shown you he's going to take the other side. You're going to be able to take together with, with him. Now, the man at the pool was one that Jesus was led to pray for spiritually. The Lord led him. Of all the people that were there at the pool, the Lord led him to, to that one. Lazarus is one that Jesus was led to by proximity. The Spirit of God did not lead him to pray for Lazarus. It was because he was close to him. It was because he was close to the family. Word was sent to Jesus, but then the Spirit made a connection with him. So just because... You are led to pray for for someone by proximity because you're close to them. Doesn't mean that you will fail in making that connection. But just understand, there's two two things for that. Don't just jumble them all together. Uh, neglected to to um, bring that out to you. See, sometimes what happens with this is is I'm out running or I'm just meditating on something or just you know just kind of thinking over. Oh yeah yeah, I see that, and I write it down someplace. And then sometimes I forget to bring it over to what I'm looking at here on Sunday. And then I look at it later. Oh, I didn't bring that one over. Yep, that was one of those times. But here, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Mark chapter 4 is the story of the storm on the sea. Remember, storm suddenly came up. The enemy was trying to take him down, did not want him making this trip. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man unclean spirit. Now, one of the favorite words of Mark is immediately. The actual Greek Greek word on this Is used 80 times in the New Testament. So if you look at all the books of the New Testament, 80 times you will find this word used. Of those 80 times, Mark uses it 40. He's one of the shorter gospels, but he uses this word as much as all the other writers in the New Testament. He likes immediately, he likes you to see suddenly, all of a sudden, here this comes. So as soon as he gets out of the boat, we just had the thing on the water. We just had the, the raging storm. We almost thought we were going to, disciples thought they were going to drown. And then to get over that, immediately, here comes this guy greeting him. Just understand this, after a great victory, after a great test or trial, you may want to rest, but that does not seem to always be in your future. Just because you want a great victory doesn't mean that the enemy just backs down. You may need to be up. And don't go crying to God. Oh God, I just got done this victory. My faith is a little tired. Uh-uh, God's not going to be listening to you. He says, come on. Get going. God didn't put that out there against you. The enemy did. He's trying to get you. So Jesus is greeted by a man with an unclean spirit. We know from I think it was Matthew's gospel that there was two of them, but one seems to be the primary spokesman. And Luke says in uh, Luke eight twenty seven that he had had demons for a long time. Now it was long enough time that he was a problem for the community. They tried to chain him. They tried to put him in in bonds. They tried to keep him shackled. They tried to deal with him in whatever way that they could and none of their ways were successful. He was the problem. We don't talk about this story all that often. I think it's been at least two years since we last looked at this, but you may remember that when you have this kind of a situation, he's living over there by the tombs. If you are a parent and back here in these days, they didn't just stay around the block they were able to walk a little bit further, but you would always have to be telling your kids, don't go near the tombs. You know that man is out there. You know he's capable of doing anything, and so there's a little bit of a fear factor going on. They would hear him at nighttime, making sounds and making noise. And uh, so at nighttime, don't go near there. Keep the kids away. So this is a an issue. This is a problem. If it's an issue in a town, more than likely they brought it up to their politicians. They brought it up to their people. We need you to deal with this. You need to find some way to deal with this and get this thing taken care of. And so people were probably elected to take care of this problem and no one had taken care of it. New guy comes in office. He says, all right, we're going to gonna we're gonna lock them up. And that didn't work. And uh, maybe they got frustrated with him, kicked him out, got somebody else in there. He said, oh, I know how to fix this problem. You know what politicians are like. They're going to fix the problems. And then they get in there and they uh, aren't able to get it done. They probably face some of these same kind of things here. And eventually, you get to the place where you just adapt. Well, this is just how it's going to be. Now, there's a reason the demon cries out. And the Word of God says, For he said, Jesus, for Jesus said to him. That word said, remember that word uh, lego before? That's our word lego. But it's in a progressive imperfect, which means... Or it should be translated this way. For he had been saying to him. He had been saying to him. He didn't just say it one time. Jesus said it repeatedly. He kept making that statement. He kept saying to him, come out of him. He kept speaking to him. So I got this question. And I, I just thought I'd, I'd throw it. Did Jesus ever pray for people who didn't receive healing? If I were to ask you how many people here have prayed for people who didn't receive healing, we probably would get some hands raised up, right? But did Jesus ever pray for someone who didn't receive healing? Now, every time we have it in the Word of God, they got healed. So it's going to be kind of tough to answer that question, you might think. Now, we know he invited people to come follow him, and some of them said no, right? Right? So he 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 felt to go ahead, to invite, come, follow me, and they didn't come. They decided not to do that. Rich young ruler, of course, he's the most prominent one on that, but there were others. We know he taught people who refused to hear or to yield what he taught. Isn't that right? He tried to address situations with people, and they refused to listen. And we also know that he went to Capernaum, but he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Now, I want to bring you to that statement that is made in the Word. He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. You may have never asked this question when you are looking at that, but I'm going to have you ask this question right now. How did he know? How did Jesus know he could do no mighty work. Is it because no one asked him? Probably not, huh? It would seem that people in the town asked him and maybe he even did try and minister healing, but they shut it down. Do you remember the story where the, the uh Paralytic was let down through the roof. I'm I'm gonna you'll have to go back and look this up if you want to want to check me out on it, and I welcome you to do it because it is in there. But when it was it talks about this meeting, and if you if we were really going to spend time on it and break it down uh, as, as to where this was, evidence seems to indicate, some strong evidence in the Greek, that this is Jesus' house. There is some really strong evidence in the Greek that this is Jesus' house. Go back in the English and just take a look at the passage. Now you're all going to go home and read it, which I hope you do. <laughs> go on home and read it. But look at the passage. When they came to a house. Come on, you guys have read this so many times, you probably know it. When they came to the house. Why is it called the house? Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. More than likely, doesn't matter for the story, but more than likely, that is Jesus' house. People want to say Jesus didn't have any money, Jesus didn't have any stuff. Well, Jesus said he had no place to lay his head. Of course not. He's traveling around, going from uh, town to town, ministering the Word of God. He's not staying where he has a house, but this is his hometown. How does a place like Capernaum come to be, or i sorry, not Capernaum, how does a, a place come to be your hometown? Real easy. Real easy answer. Because your home is there. That's how it becomes your hometown. You have a home there. How can this be Jesus' hometown if he has no home there? So anyway, let's go on here. So he comes to Capernaum and he, um, he says he could do no mighty work there. So it would seem that there's at least a possibility that he was ready to pray for people, that the Spirit of God was ready to administer healing to the people that were there. The gifts that were on Jesus were ready to administer healing to the people that were there. But somehow, they shut it down. Just like when they, in the town, in possibly Jesus' house, and the man was let down, and this Word of God says that the Spirit of God was there to heal them only Him got healed. How did we go from a passage of Scripture that says the Spirit of God was present to heal them and only Him was healed? Because they got offended, because they got bothered by what was done, because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and shut it down. So it is very possible that Jesus was there to heal, was ready to administer healing, But they shut it down. And he could do no mighty work. If I can't do something, it would seem I would have had to have tried and it not worked. Somehow they would have shut it down. So, did Jesus ever pray for somebody who wasn't healed? I say probably so. Not on the fault of Jesus. Not on the fault of the gifts that he had. But on the fault of the receiver. So, if that is the case... Just don't always look at it as failure on your part if you prayed for someone and it didn't get healed. Now in... um, Well, I gave you the reference of it there. No, I didn't. I gave it to Daryl. But I'm not going to read it. I'm going to just give it to you. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. If you want to go through there, that's our chapter that's kind of in between here. Let's pick up here at verse nine. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. They were about 2000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So he cries out about Jesus. First off, Jesus had been saying to him. That's what caused him to cry out. But what does what does he cry out? And what he cries out here is he knows who Jesus is. And he asks, have you come to torment us before the time? That's over in Matthew chapter 9. It's not here in, our, in Mark's gospel. Matthew chapter 9 puts that in there. Have you come to torment us before the time? There is a time set when the uh demon spirits when the uh, uh fallen angels all will be judged. That time isn't yet. They know it's not yet, but others had been judged. Not going to get into all that. Right now, others had been judged. They wondered if he was coming to torment them before the time because they may have broken the rules by having this many demon spirits in one person. They don't know. He said, our name is Legion, for we are many. We know that a Legion equals about 6,000 troops. So, is it possible he had 6,000 evil spirits on the inside of him? I heard one person challenged us challenged this way. He said, if one person could hold 6,000 evil spirits, what is your spiritual capacity as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned? And have we even tapped into it? Now, the swine demons are only mentioned in Scripture as entering in two animals. You could probably tell me right now what they were, couldn't you? Here it is, the swine. Anybody know what the other one is? The serpent. The swine is a symbol of gross uncleanness. The serpent is a symbol of intellectual cunning. Verse 14, So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. They went out to sea What it was that happened. So they went out into the, into the city, into the country, into the fields. They went to whoever they could. Hey, this is what happened. This is what went on. Jesus came, this guy came in off the boat, came on in, and he dealt with that guy, but then all of our, all of our pigs left. Now pigs, at this point, Israel is not, uh, permitted to eat swine. That is not, does not occur until Peter gets the vision. But I'm t- this is, this is pre Peter's vision. So why do they raise swine? They raise swine for the heathen in the land. They raise the swine for the Romans. They raise swine for the, the Romans, um, who, the soldiers that the Romans have hired. Because most of the Roman soldiers in the region of Palestine are not of Roman descent. Generally, Rome takes people from the indigenous area and uh, and uses them, so actually, what you would have here, as far as Roman soldiers are concerned, are people of Arab descent. These are people that hate Israel. Rome doesn't care about that, but these are most of those Roman soldiers are people of Arab descent who really despise Israel. They come of course from the other son that Abraham had. So they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. I don't know about you, but if you had somebody who came into your region and took care of the biggest problem you had in the region, you might want them to hang around for a little while. But they decide, we can't handle you, please leave. So Jesus got back in the boat. Went back to the other side, verse 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. So, the man, or possibly both men, want to go with Jesus. But he tells them, no, go home and tell the people what's been done for you. Proclaim the good things that Jesus has done. Luke 8, 38-40 tells you about the same kind of thing. He says to him, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And then Luke also portrays that when Jesus left the place to get in the boat to come to the the area of the tombs, that there was a great crowd of people that loved him being there. He went to a place that didn't want him, took care of this one issue, and then came on back and was greeted by a bunch of people who wanted him to be there. So, uh, just after a whole bunch of people asked him to leave, he finds a whole mess of people waiting for him, expecting, oh, here comes Jesus, he's coming back. Why? Because they didn't want him over on the other side. But he tells him, go and tell. So, let's go on to the other scripture, Mark chapter 7, you don't have to go too far if you're looking in your Bibles, or you can look up on the screen. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Ephphatha, which that is, be opened." It's Aramaic. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. You remember when he talked to the little girl and said arise, he spoke to her in Arabic. Here he speaks to this one in Arabic. Be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Now we're not told if he was born with this. Or if it happened to him. But he was able to talk right away. And that's uh, that's pretty amazing. But they brought him and begged Jesus to heal him. So there's other people that are bringing him because he can't speak and he can't hear. Now, this man, if you're going to have a bunch of people who come along and bring you to the meeting with Jesus and beg Jesus, please heal this man. Either you've got some people in your life who see you as really important, really love you, or you are a burden to them. If you're going to get somebody to be passionate, we need to get this man healed. Either that man is extremely important to them, there's a lot of love they have for that that man, or he's a burden and they want it done. They could be saying, you know what? If we just get this guy to Jesus, he can get healed and he can be out of our house. He can get a job. He can take care of himself. They could have been thinking all those sort of things. Because remember, these days, they don't have welfare. They don't have disability. If you can't make a living and you don't have anybody else who's going to help you out, you won't be around very long. You go out in the streets and beg, but it's going to be tough for him. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one But the more he commended them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Now, if Jesus doesn't take this man away from the multitude to begin with, to do this miracle, if he doesn't pull him from the multitude, there is absolutely no reason in the world for him to tell him, don't tell anybody. Because the multitude would have seen it and they would have made sure that everybody knew about it. But he takes them away from the multitude, and he says, then he commanded them, not just him. He commanded them. So that some of the people, at least some of the people that brought the man, went with Jesus as as he pulled him away from the multitude and ministered to him. And he commanded. He didn't just say, he commanded them, don't speak of this. Don't speak of this. Don't be telling anyone about these. I want you to to not say anything. Mark chapter 5, just two chapters before. Go home and tell everybody. Two chapters later, Mark chapter 7. Don't tell anyone. So why is this? Well, when there are words of doubt spoken, there needs to be words of faith spoken to neutralize them. Like the woman with the issue of blood. You have to have Words that are spoken to neutralize them. There's a lot of Christians who miss it in this area because they have spoken words of doubt and they hear someone teaching. They'll hear somebody like uh, Caps. They'll hear somebody like Jerry Savelle. They'll hear somebody get up and begin to administering this. Oh, I just need to say this and begin to speak this way. And they begin to do that and it doesn't neutralize it. It doesn't take care of the problem. You have to put something in there that's going to, to accomplish it. It's kind of like if you have a load of laundry that you need to neutralize. I may all know what happens to a load of laundry, dirty clothes that sit there. They get smelly. So what do you have to do? Bring something in that will neutralize all of that stuff. So the, the idea is you have to have enough detergent to take care of that. If you put the load of laundry in, say that your teenage son has decided to take up laundry, and you begin to walk through the the process of what to do, there is hope for your teenage sons. Don't you go... Don't don't go dissing your teenage son just yet. My mom taught me how to do laundry before I went off to college. She taught me well. I gained the passion of laundry. And I have been passionate about laundry ever since we got married. And my... My wife will tell you, I said, well, this is how I do my laundry. This is what I do. She said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> As she told me, I'm not doing that. I said, that's fine. I'll do it. And so I did most of the laundry in the house. I didn't, I didn't just do mine. I did the, the other stuff that was there, but no one touched my, to this day, no one touches my laundry. Don't you try and wash my laundry? And I'm, I'm programmed in this way for laundry. I, if sometimes shes my wife has done a load, and my wife does laundry differently from from me, she thinks what I do is completely ridiculous, and I just can 't get my head around what she does and we're we're goodness. she does hers i do mine we're we're fine, but every once in a while every once in a while, she has a load of wash in the the and I need to put a load of wash in, and so I go on in there and so I, you know i I reach in to take her stuff out and put it in the dryer and and that 's all fine and and I pull something out oh. No, this cannot go in the dryer. I, I know this. I can. I can just touch the clothes. I don't need to read labels. You people that read labels, you're amateurs. <laughs> I do not need to read labels. I grab the laundry. I can tell machine wash, cold, tumble dry low. I just know that. I can. I can just tell by holding it. I can hold that. No, no, no. So I'm pulling the laundry out, and I'm saying, no, it cannot go in the laundry. It cannot go in the dryer. It can't go in the dryer. And so I'll pull this out, and I'll say, hon, um, <clears throat> I have a problem. And just no, just throw it all in there. But, but it, it, no, I've already done it. I've already put it in there. It's fine. Just put it in there. Wow. It hurts. It actually hurts for me to take that laundry. Put it in the dryer and turn the dryer on normal. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. So sure watch me. No, I'll pull out this one. Well, this one doesn't go in the dryer at all, ever. Pull that one on out there and, and put that over here. And uh, and then this one. Well, this one, this can go in the dryer but low. So actually, if I pull my wash out, I, well, this one can go in regular. This one, we'll put aside. We'll wait. They can just sit there and wait until we have you know that's just the way I'm I'm programmed there's there's hope for your teenage son they can catch hold of, the, of that they may not but that's but they but they just so you know that there's <laughs> there's hope for that but if you pull out that that laundry that teenage son they got the laundry and they put it all in there and they washed it and then you you uh do the sniff test after they kind it out of the, the dryer and said that smells just as bad and when you put it in there, it smells like it's dirty laundry. What's your first thought? They forgot the soap. Or they didn't put enough. They did not put enough soap in. One or the other is, is the case. And so, uh, you, if you're going to neutralize the odors that are in the laundry, you have to have sufficient laundry soap. Of course, they're making it even easier right now. they got those little pod things. And you don't got to measure nothing out. You just take one of those little pot things, throw it right on in there, and you're good to go. If you if you use that. Some people still like the, the liquid, you know, you're pouring it on out. And make sure, but you got to make sure that you get enough in there. What people are trying to do is they've had a bad confession. Not that you're just saying bad words, but you believe them. Well, I just know I'm going to get sick. I just know this is going to happen. I just know I'm going to get fired. I just know that, the, that this is going... We say these kind of things, but you see, we we have faith in it, and then we try and take some kind of a statement that we heard, brother Cap say, taught us to say. Whatever it might be, brother Creflo Dollar taught you to say, and we try well, to say this like he did. But there's nothing behind it. You see, you can't neutralize the laundry with no soap or very little soap. You got to have something to it. You got to have the right right amount. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but you know, have you ever put too much, too much, uh, soap in? I mean, anymore, it's not a big deal. It used to be a big deal when you had the, the top, top ones, and you know, you measured the stuff in there and suds. We've seen the movies, suds coming out all over. Well, you don't have that issue anymore because the, everything is HE. And so it's, it's low suds. And so even if you put too much in there, it's low suds. I've done those those pot things sometimes, and I have the the load going in, and I'm thinking, well, you know, um, I was working out in the yard, it's pretty sweaty. Maybe I need more to neutralize. And I I only did it one time. I put two in there. But if you read the label on the on the on the uh, on the bottle, it tells you one or two, two for a large load. And I generally always do a large load. And so I put two in there. Holy smokes! I was smelling like laundry (laughs) detergent. nope not gonna do that we over neutralized (laughs) that's that that smell was gone out of there but if you want to take care of the words that you have spoken those words of unbelief those words of doubt that you have spoken if you want to neutralize there's got to be some substance to it we use that example with the pole that you can't just come up to the pole and have max push on it you've got to have something that's substantial to be able to push that thing on over If you were going to neutralize negative words that you've had spoken in your life, you may have been spoken them for a month, you may have spoken them for a year, you may have spoken them for many, many years, whatever it might be. You've got to come in there with something. When that woman with the issue of blood, she came in there, she had substance to her words. I know, I know it. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She knew it. She had substance to it, and she neutralized those words. Do not ever think that if you've had negative words for three years, that you had to have positive words for three years in order to neutralize them. All you need to do is have substance behind what it is that you say. But if you don't put substance behind it, those words are going to be powerless. If they're just words of hope, it's not going to work. So that's one thing that we need to do to neutralize words, is make sure that those words of doubt that you had, you've got to get rid of them, and put the words of, uh, like uh, the good words in there, words of faith like this woman did. The man at the pool, he had works of doubt that were neutralized by him taking up his bed. He was doing works of doubt. He was parking himself out there by the pool. He was giving off the impression, I am here to get healed. But he had absolutely no faith in anything that he was doing. Because when Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? He said to him, I have no one to put me in. Basically, everything I am doing is for show. So Jesus gave him a work to do. You see, if you've had works of doubt, then God is going to speak something to you that's going to be a work of faith. Something to do. How many times do we see this with Jesus? How many times did he tell people to do something that seemed to be not possible? When he comes to the tomb with Lazarus inside, what's he say? Roll the stone. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to do it. Don't roll the stone. There's a work. If you had works of doubt, not only you're going to have to speak to that, he's going to give you something to do. Some kind of a work that you're going to do that is going to neutralize what it is that you did. Constantly Jesus is giving people works to do. Works to do. Remember the ten lepers who came to him to get healed? What did he tell them to do? Have a positive confession? Go and show yourself to the priests. That was a work. To do, the um, nobleman who came by his son, please come and heal my son. And Jesus seemed to be a little bit rough with them, but he said, "No, go your way. Your son lives." There was a work that had to be done. He had to take Jesus at his word, and then go. There was a work that had to be done. If I have works of doubt and unbelief, and I do, and I fail to get the works of faith to counteract it. That's one of the reasons why you may not be overcoming what you need to do. I don't know what that work is going to be, but God does, and He will tell you some things to do. When we have a will contrary to the things of God, we need to exercise submission to the will of God, like in salvation. People that are unsaved, they have a will that says, I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to do things God-way. They have a will to go in this particular direction. So, when you get saved, what do you have to do? Have a good confession? No, it's not just that. You've got to submit your will to the will of God. There's a submission that needs to be there. And when you do that, all that you had done in exercising your will over the will of the Father is neutralized and you are saved. Isn't that right? There's a neutralizing factor that needs to be in there. So when we look here in Mark chapter 7 and Jesus commands, do not tell this to anyone. You have to look at what are the reasons that there could be for Jesus to say this. So I list, they're probably not in your outline, they're in mine. (laughs) I have more space. But I'll read them here to you. I just wrote down, what are some of the reasons that someone would make this request? Don't tell anyone. First, he is not wanting people to know about his ministry. Would that be the case? No, Jesus doesn't mind people knowing about what's going on. So that can't be the reason. Um, I mean, is it likely that these this um, miracle would have stayed quiet if they would have listened? What is the likelihood that they that it wouldn't have um, gotten out? It's probably not real high. Eventually, this kind of thing is going to get out. Reasons have to be different than just information getting out. How did the woman with the issue of blood get her faith? When she heard about Jesus. Well, if, if that's what brought her to the place of faith, why would Jesus be against people hearing about what Jesus does? There can't be any reason for him saying this in order to keep the, the information about him the news about him, quiet. I just can't seem to be, be it. And again, he told other people. So I, I, I begin to look. What is another reason? What is another way that this, this could be? Well, in line with this topic, what if they had been disobedient to the commands of God? What if they reasoned out what they should obey, as many do today? How many people do you know that reason out? Well, I don't know if I really need to do what God said there. I mean, I know God said the tithe, but, yeah, it's Old Testament. I don't really know if I need to do that. I know God told me to, you know, not cuss, but, you know, it's, you know, what we consider to be cuss words now, I mean, it's it's not really all that big a deal. I can go ahead and say these things. I know God says, you know, don't be busybody in other people's business, but this is one of the ways that I reach the unsaved. This is the one of the reasons that they come to me and they begin to talk to me about that. I know God said we should read the Bible all the time but I've heard the Bible all my life I've pretty got it. I've got it down pretty good. I don't really need to hear it every single day. I know God's word said you should be in church don't forsake the assembling of yourself together that you know you, you, you get in there with, with uh, and hear the word and, and I know God has said that but you know we reason out things and people today reason out why I should why I should not obey God basically folks they have a submission problem I'm not going to be submitted to anything I don't see as legitimate so if these people that came to Jesus and they said or they were people that that had reasoned out obedience And I'm pretty sure they are. Because Jesus said, He just did a tremendous miracle, didn't he? Tremendous miracle. They brought Him, they begged Him, please do this. And He did it. And it's done. You would think, how many would be grateful? If you had gone to the meeting, brought somebody to the meeting, begged Jesus, Jesus, please, please take care of this. Maybe they were a burden. Maybe they were somebody really important to you, whatever it might be. Please, Jesus, take it. And Jesus does it. How many of you are grateful? And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. How many of you would say, mum's the word. I'm excited to tell people about what's going on, but if you don't want me to, I'm not saying it. Because you've learned how to submit your will to God. But look how quick these people jump right off it. What? Don't tell anybody. That's ridiculous. People need to know. People should know. No, I'm gonna go out there and tell all kinds of people. And they went out and spread the word about him. They have an issue. Now I heard I don't remember where I heard this from. I might have heard it from Brother Hagin, listen to one of his, or I might have heard it from Brother Cushlo Dollar. But I think it came from one of those two guys. I heard this statement God will heal you on credit. God will heal you on credit. That sometimes all you need to do is say, God, I will do that. Very good. And you go through the Gospels, you'll find out there are some times he healed people on credit. They hadn't done anything yet, but he did it. And then they sometimes showed up as unfaithful. This is one of those times. They showed up as unfaithful. They didn't do what he asked them to do. See, they reasoned out well, should I really do it this way? I mean, I just don't see the reason for us doing it. That's how they did it in the Old Testament. Jesus, we're not in the Old Testament. We're in the Gospels. Things are different now. So the command to go back and tell in Mark 5 and the command to not tell in Mark 7 are both, get this, write this down, against the will of the hearer. The man in Mark chapter 5 wanted to go. Jesus said, don't go, go back. He went back. The one in Mark chapter 7 said, don't tell. They wanted to tell, and they did. One submitted to the will of the Father. The other one did not. If there had been actions on their part against the will of God, or passing off their will as the will of God. You know, Christians do that sometimes. They pass off their will as the will of God. Well, I think God would really want this. Would this not have been a great neutralizer? If they would have just listened and done it, they could have neutralized all that all that sort of stuff. You never see this more so than in uh, when somebody passes away. We, I saw this with my wife's family, and they um, you know somebody in, in, in the family would die. She has a huge family. You know they could almost lose somebody a year and probably wouldn't really notice anything. Not really. <laughs> they just had a lot of them. But I know when someone would, would, would pass away, they were older and they would pass away, and, and people would come out of the woodwork. Well, I don't think that grandma, that aunt, that uncle, I don't think they would... Well, you don't even know them. You haven't been talking to them for five years. How do you know? And this kind of stuff would go on. I would see this going on with, with the, the family there and just about any family, especially if there's an inheritance. All of a sudden, everybody knows what the will of the deceased is. I haven't talked to anybody. Isn't it amazing how many people know what the will of God is, having had a, uh, been in their Bibles or had a prayer session with God? Well, I don't think God would do. Mm-hmm. Now, these folks, this, this man here in Mark chapter 7, he's still healed. But what effect did it have on him down the road? What effect could have happened to this person down the road? because they didn't listen and do what Jesus said. They could have neutralized all that stuff that went on before. They didn't do it. Now, I ask you this question. Who sticks out to you the most as someone who went home early before their ministry was over and before God intended them to? Anybody stick out to you? Somebody who went home early, died younger than they were intended to live, and did not accomplish what God wanted, nor was it the will of God. Anybody come to mind? What was that? Samson? Yeah, hell yeah, Samson's a good one. In fact, he didn't even come in into the ministry he was supposed to come into. There's a lot of them. There's not just one answer. I have one answer written down here and I'll give it to you but I just wanted to see what, all, what y'all come up with. Samson's a good one though. Certainly he died early. Well, for me, it was Moses. Moses died early. Moses died before he accomplished the purpose that God had for him because the purpose that God raised Moses up was to take them to the promised land. And Moses didn't do that. Moses died before he accomplished that and passed it off to Joshua who did do it. But it was not God's intention, it was not God's will, it was not God's desire. Now, how many think that Moses was a man that you and I can point fingers at? Anybody want to stand up in heaven and point a finger at Moses Said say, Moses? Uh, no. <laughs> because you see, I have an episode in the Bible in which Arian and Miriam decided to point fingers at Moses and that didn't go so well. And then we also had an incident with Korah. they decided to point fingers at Moses and that didn't go so well either. And there's other instances where people decided to point fingers at Moses and God says, how is it that you guys are not afraid to accuse my servant Moses? (laughs) I talked to him face to face. Which one of you guys do I talk to face to face? Uh, None. (laughs) Moses died and went home early. He did not accomplish the purpose for which he was intended, called, and he did it. He didn't accomplish that because of disobedience, and that is, there's nothing else you can put it on, right? It's disobedience. He was supposed to speak to the rock to bring out the water the second time, and instead, what did he do? He struck the rock. He was mad at these Israelites and their insubordination, and their rebellion. And they're constantly doubting God, and just mad at them for God, and he struck the rock, water came out anyway, but God says, it's not something you were supposed to do. Now, before we point fingers at Moses for this, I want you to understand this. There is no one present in Israel. There is no one on the mountain, there was no one on the flat land. There was no one present in Israel who could disobey at this level except Moses. Most people would not even be in a position to disobey at this level. Now, maybe Joshua was getting close. I know Aaron wasn't. Maybe Joshua was getting close. Maybe Caleb was getting close. But there was no one there who could disobey on this level like Moses. Because no one else could hear what God said to do like Moses did. i put this in your outline for you. The greater level you walk in with God, the more you can hear in revelation from God. And the more you can see and understand in obedience and disobedience. the greater level you walk with God, the more that you can hear in Revelation, the more that you can see and understand, you will be able to walk in a greater level of obedience and a greater level of disobedience. Most people won't even know that those levels exist. Won't even know that it's there. I see Max every once in a while, he's got his video games out there and you're up to some high levels on those video games. And People that are novices like me, I'm a novice at video games. Kind of proud of being a novice at video games. (laughs) I never played them when I was a kid. My other friends, they would play video games and I'd leave. I don't want to sit around playing video games. I want to go outside and play football. I want to go outside and play hockey. I want to go outside and knock some people around. But the higher level you get in those video games, there's things that you will see that you will not see in the lower levels. They give you this as incentive. When you get up to here, you can get this sword or this gun or this, uh, whatever it might be. They put all these things, but they're in the higher levels. You're not going to get these levels of obedience and disobedience Unless you walk in the things like Moses walked. Now I kind of paraphrase. I know this comes from a movie. You all figure out what movie this is. But with great understanding comes great accountability. With great understanding comes great accountability. You will be account- accountable for some things. In my own life, probably with yours as well. God has pointed out some things to me. There are some times that I have shown up at an event, shown up at a ceremony, a celebration, a thing, and it came up on the inside of me. I try and make sure I stay away from this because I don't like it when it comes up on the inside of me. But it has come up on the inside of me. Why are you here? I'll tell you what, that'll shake you in your boots. I have been at places, I have gone to events, I have been at spots, and it comes up on the inside of me, why are you here? Now, you don't have to take a whole lot, you don't have to ask a whole lot of questions, you can pretty much take it, okay, first off, I'm not supposed to be, am I? (laughs) What were my clues? How was I supposed to know this kind of thing? And... um, And so this, this started occurring to me a long, long, long time ago. And so I began to not just assume to go to different things. I needed to find out, is there a reason that I should not be here? Do you remember when the prophet showed up with Ahab and Jehoshaphat and had the word? Remember the words out of his mouth? If it were not for the presence of Jehoshaphat, I would not even be here. Hmm. I would not even be here. There were movies I used to go to when I was younger that if I try and sit down and watch them, they would disturb my spirit to the utmost. It didn't bother me before. But boy, it does now. There are language and there are topics that are okay for others, but I know they're not for me. I've made hints at it anyway. There are certain words and certain language things I won't say, I won't do. I've heard ministers, I've heard preachers, a preacher that I sat under for five years use them in church, in the pulpit. That's how unoffensive they are to people. And I will not use them. I'm not going to tell you, I don't give you clues as to what they are because if I do, then you're thinking about them. That's stupid. That's stupid always think when people are trying to say, you know, save not saying the word, they just they just spell it for you. or They start. Why? Now you're going to get me thinking about that word. Why do I want to think about that word? Don't need to do that. Yeah, there's there's some like there's some topics that people will will get on. And in my spirit, don't you dare but down in my spirit. People will begin to argue about topic, and I know some things on it, and I'm ready to open up my mouth and say. Don't you dare! Yes, sir. Now, see, maybe a long time ago, I would have sat there and said, "Well, well, why not? Tell me why I can't." I don't do that. If I get that check, if I get that thing, it says, "Don't do it." Mom's the word. I'm not checking it out. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to that place. There have been discussions. I've needed to leave. We're not a bad discussion. There's nothing the Word of God says, thou shalt not discuss this. But on the inside, get out. Leave. Go. And I know the voice. And I follow it. Now, I want you to know what didn't work. It never worked one single time for me to say, but so-and-so is here. (laughs) It, It never worked. I couldn't say, yeah, but minister brother, sister, so-and-so, they it, it don't work. Did I tell you to be there? No. It never helps to say, yeah, but so-and-so says that. Nope. Now, if we pick up the former topic that we were in before we got into this next Sunday, you will see this very same principle on display. Oh, that's for next time. If you had words, works, or exercise your will over God's, you may not see the victory until you have counteracting words, works, or submission of your will. That might be in the present, and that might be on credit. But it needs to be just as bold and just as public as what you are neutralizing. If you said something in front of a whole mess of people, you cannot neutralize that in your prayer closet. Won't be other work. But God, I did say those words, yeah, in the privacy of your own home. To your best friend. Mm-mm. Someone else's words, works, or will does not excuse you if you know or should know better. Don't be looking at somebody else. Yeah, but they, nope. It won't work. God knows what you know. God knows what you heard. God knows what you understand. And God expects you to live up to that. Now, by the standard that Jesus set, how many of y'all know we can all fall short? The standard that Jesus set in this life, walking through life, we all fall short of that. We all do. Don't ever go around pointing at other people and judging people in this area. God will never lead you in this kind of action. He will never lead you to judge. Well, maybe they... Well, maybe this happened. He will never lead you. But I'll tell you who will lead you. And I'll tell you who will direct you. Don't follow after it. Don't do it. Stay out of it. Otherwise, you're just going to have more stuff you got to neutralize. you got to go out and get some more laundry soap. Get that in there and clean it up. Thankfully, the blood of Jesus Christ is better than any laundry soap. There are situations that we have put ourselves in. There are things that we have done we have not submitted to the will of God. We have spoken words against God, against what His, his Word promised us. We have had works, like the man at the pool, that were works of flesh, There were works of doubt, that be passed off as works of faith. These things are going to hinder you. But you'll notice this, that every time that Jesus came upon these things, He had a way to neutralize them. Had a way to overcome them. Most of them were difficult for the person involved. Rise, take up your bed. It's easy for us. It wasn't so easy for him. Sell what you have, and come follow me. Easy for us, maybe. Not so easy for him. Whatever it might be, if you've got some things out there that are negative, on your life, holding you back, keeping you going. God knows how you can neutralize it. God knows how you can fix it. Listen, He's going to lead you to say some things. He's going to lead you to do some things. He's going to lead you to submit to some things, and most of those will not make any sense at all. Well, how is that going to have any effect on this. One of the stories Brother Hagen had shared with us way back when he was first getting on the road and uh, back then you didn't have credit cards. He just had the, the cash you had in your pocket is what you had to get from one place to another. And he had, I believe, $5, $20 in his pocket and that was it. That was it. And he had to get to his next meeting. And I uh, remember him, the Spirit of God came up on the inside and said, take that five or that 20, whatever it was, and give it to that brother over there. But Lord, that's the only money I have. I have to get gas still to get over to this other. God still told him to do it. He made it over to his next spot. He never t- said anything supernatural happened. He just made it over to his next spot and, uh, and preached. And then said there was another time that God told him again, give, and with was whatever he had in his pocket, give that. And he pointed out somebody to this brother over here. And he did it. And then sometime after that there was a meeting that he was in and as he was uh, getting ready preparing for the meeting he was in his his uh, room. They stayed with the pastor then and he was in the, the spare room that they had for the guest ministers. He was in there and he's praying he's getting ready and he said all of a sudden I saw a vision. I saw a vision of the of the meeting that night and I saw six people in wheelchairs over here on the left side and I saw myself go up and lay hands on all six of those people and five of them got up out of the wheelchair and walked. You know, that'll set up any, any kind of a meeting. Get five people, get up out of a wheelchair and start walking around. Five of those people got up and started walking around. He said, when we got to the meeting that night, I saw it exactly as I saw it in that vision. There were the six people in wheelchairs. And so I did exactly what I saw myself do in the... In the um, in the vision, and I went over, and I laid hands on them, and five of the six people got up and walked out of those little chairs. Later on, I'm not sure if it was that night, or later on in the week, I think it was that night, the Spirit of God spoke to him, the Spirit of God dealt with him, and he said, if you would not have been obedient in the $5 and the $20, I could not have used you in that situation. Now, my mind thinks, well, what? how did that have any effect? What did it do? I don't know, but it had something to do with God. If we raise up our will against God, if we reason out why we don't have to do what God said, it will hinder you from what God wants to do. If you speak words against what it is you say you're believing for, it will hinder you. And we're talking more you right now. I started this thing off talking about people that are, that are laying there. If a person is laying there unconscious and they have something going on in the area of words, they have something going on in the area of works, or they have something going on in the area of will, if they cannot get up and do what is necessary to, to uh, negate what has been done, it may not be possible to fix to get them out of what they're in, it may not. I could show you cases in the Word of God where that was the case, because of what they had done. They could not. I could I'm just off the top of my head right now, I can think of six in the Word of God where this is this was in play, and what was done could not be rectified, could not be changed. Now, go back to our, our guy Moses. What could Moses do to rectify his situation? What could Moses do to accomplish neutralizing what he had done? Nothing. Because the level for which he disobeyed was such a high level that he may not have had an opportunity, at that high of a level to obey. That was a high level that he did. Most people not even near there. You can find other people who disobeyed at a very high level. Some of them crashed down. Moses didn't crash down. Moses is getting used again in the end times. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I like what one minister ministered to me on this thing. He said, "If you were Moses, would you rather go into the Promised Land with two to four million grumbling, complaining Israelites?" Or would you rather go into the promised land with Jesus and Elijah? Because <laughs> he got to go into the promised land with Jesus and Elijah. There they are in the Mount of Transfiguration. They're all there. Not trying to overcomplex the things of the gospel. It comes down to simply this. In your spirit, God will lead you. In your spirit, God will tell you, say this, do this, Submit to this. And what you have to get yourself to that place is where you just do it. Yes, sir. I will do it. And if you get yourself to that kind of obedience, to that kind of submission, to that kind of yielding, very little will stand in the way of you and what it is that God has called you to do. Very little. There are some people who have died and gone home early. Maybe based on this. Sometimes it's something else, but it's not for me to figure it all out. If God doesn't tell me what it is, I don't try to figure it out, because it's not going to take away from what I know the Word of God is true. But there's a whole lot of stuff that can go on that I don't know. Now, we—if um, you read your bulletin, I told you about the video teaching that's coming out tomorrow. It's actually not a video teaching, because I couldn't find it in video. But I was listening to the to this particular series. And I like the second one. He was dealing with a lot of people who went home early and some of the reasons that were going on there. So what I did was I took my audio copy of it and put it into a format that we could put it up on our podcast. So it's already there. It comes active at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. I made it uh, go active a little bit earlier than 11. So if you are on podcast, you need do nothing. It will come up on the Sunday podcast automatically for you at 8 o'clock. Or if your thing doesn't sync at 8 o'clock, sync it at 8.05. And you can uh, pull it right down on your machine, and you will have it there. It's just the audio. There's not a whole lot of description that I put in there. It's just uh, the audio from that. You can listen to uh, to what goes on there. He gives a lot of stories, a lot of explanation of things that had gone on. I think it can help some of us. But uh, there's there's people that go home early, and sometimes it's it's an error on their part, and sometimes it's it's something else. But I've learned I don't I don't fret about it. I don't I don't get all all concerned about it? I, I just want to make sure, did I do what I was supposed to do? If God says, no, you're supposed to do this. Oh, man. <laughs> but listen to, listen to God. He will help you out of that. Well, I hope these four weeks have helped you out on this topic. If you still have some other questions you have on these things, feel free to phone out my way. I'll work it in there um, somehow and, and go over these things. Would you all stand up with me? Father God, it's so important for us that our words are in line with your word. It's so important for us that our works are in line with your spirit, that they are works of the spirit, not of the flesh. It's so important for us that our will is in line with your will, that we submit to what you want us to do and what you say to do. And when we mess up in these areas, it leaves us vulnerable To things that you do not want for us to come about. You fully intended Moses to take those people into the promised land. Just because it happened in a different way doesn't mean that that was your will. Thank you that you'll help us to understand our circumstances and even the circumstances of other people better. We need to understand your will, understand your word. And we need to put some substance behind the things that we speak and the things that we do. Because then we'll see some of those obstacles that are in our way get moved. And I thank you for the help that you give us in this life. We don't need to be in fear that something around the corner is ready to jump out and get us. for we trust in you. Thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I think Brother Hagan will talk about it on this one. There are some people in his life he was not able to move heaven uh, and earth for, so to speak, for the things in their life. Um, but hope you hope you enjoy that. If you have any trouble with it, just give me a holler.